have a bunch of panelists today, and um, very grateful for you um, joining us for a little bit more of Romans 8. So grateful for uh, this uh, amazing um, chapter. But before we do anything, we have some books that we'd like to give you. If you would like one, Josh, could you tell us about David Powison, who is enjoying his presence with the Lord as we speak? Uh, what, from about a year ago? Yeah, maybe a little more than a year ago. Yeah. But um, I think that's a collection of devotionals. Uh, that spanned the course of a year. David Pelson was a biblical counselor who uh, really shaped the biblical counseling movement in some profound ways, but he was a man who loved the Lord and cared about people, and um, his reflections on the Psalms are really, really good, and I think there's a lot of reflections on the Psalms in that devotional. I think you, if you picked it up, I'm confident you'd enjoy it. <clears throat> yeah, good. And, uh, and Josh was just at uh, a conference um, with uh, Zach and Matthew and Aaron that, uh, could you give us a word about that too, because um, what, a, what a feast of that kind of uh, thinking you had there. Yeah, it was this past Monday to Wednesday, I went to a biblical counseling conference and we spent some time looking at the book of James and counseling implications from that book which is really what um, biblical counseling is about, looking at the scriptures and drawing out implications for how we are to live, how we're to live wisely in God's world, a world with suffering and sin. And it was just a really fun time with those three guys. So, um, yeah, glad to be back. Good deal. And uh, today, Papa has uh, joined us. Normally, he is in um, with Greg and Mark in the other Sunday school, but we stole them for a week. And uh, we're hopefully going to get them for a month or two or maybe a year. But uh, we're going to start with a week if we can do it. And uh, Papa has memorized Romans 8. So has Josh um, Chronic, as far as that goes. And those guys have come in class before and kind of gone back and forth uh, with Romans 8. But, but Papa is going to uh, is recite the right word, Papa. I uh, guess. Yeah. And uh, great. If you can pray... <laughs> Um, Hopefully for us, and then it's just inspiring when you hear someone say Romans eight um, through as they've memorized it, and then I would love to hear kind of your thoughts, Papa, about what has this done. And Josh, I would love to hear you and know a little bit on the spot. But as you've memorized that, how many times has God brought that back to? Um, where it's not just been a, a rote memory thing, but where it's absolutely permeated your heart and changed the way you think and, and live. But Grant, how about praying for Papa? We'll go after it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and that we get to discuss your word in Romans again, Father. And what a topic it is today that we are discussing how nothing can separate us from your love, uh, including deep, deep persecution and trials, Father, and I pray that uh, I know many of us may have experienced those already, but a lot of us may be experiencing them in the future, and Father, I pray that this passage would seep deep into um, who we are and that we would have a deep understanding um, of who you are in suffering, Father, and I pray that it would be impactful for us to see the benefit of your word memorized as Papa Fred um, recites it for us, Father, and that we would all be encouraged 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I know certainly that any time that Josh has uh, said it in public or Papa too, it's there. Want to be careful to say this isn't as a hey, look at I know something that you guys haven't ever done or whatever. So we're not tooting Papa's horn here uh, necessarily, but just giving God glory for um, how a passage that we'll really put to memory can change the way you think and operate. You know, it's Josh Chronic at um, Black Mountain was my first uh, exposure to your memorization. Then he and I tag-teamed in Jerry's class one day. I think you took the first half and I took the second half or something like that. So. Can we already set you for February? Can you guys set aside? <laughs> <laughs> we need another round of that. We ain't working on it. You're yeah, working in that. Yeah, we're working on it. Yeah. Well, um, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it cannot submit to God's law. Indeed, it does not. It's not able to. Uh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, but you, however, are not in the flesh, but in, uh, in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. <clears throat> but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. But you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if then children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed uh, to us. Uh, the whole creation is uh, groaning for the redemption. Uh, the, uh, the, the creation itself was subjected to, um, um, excuse me, help me out, Jerry. Lost your verse. Futility. The yeah. whole creation was subjected to futility. Um, let me let me catch up. Um, Twenty. Twenty. Okay. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but by him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved. Now who hopes in, in what he sees? Uh, but if we hope in what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Um, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that for those he predestined, he also called to be the firstborn among many brothers that, um, that's, that he would be revealed through Jesus as the firstborn among, among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who is to bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate it? Who shall... um, separate us from the love of Christ? Shall uh, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Um, no, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor or, um, Death, nor life, nor angels, nor powers, nor uh, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Not perfect. But. Wow, Papa, so, so encouraging. And uh, let that be kind of a inspirational for each of us to uh, be quicker to memorize Scripture. Josh, in your memorizing um, many parts of, of the Bible, it's something that, you've, that you know has been life-changing to you. Well, give us some encouragement to the, uh, just the, because you're not getting a grade for it like we make the seventh graders learn Romans 8, <laughs> and they do a pretty good job of it, but you're not getting a grade for it. You're doing it on your very own. Tell us, and inspiring your weightlifters, too. Um, I mean, it, it is a very useful tool that one fights in, but just to have it rattling around in your brain all day long, yeah. um, just to have those words ready, um, it's, it's very much beneficial. I haven't done it as much lately. I used to be a caregiver for my great-grandfather and have like eight hours a day where I could just read and uh, memorize. Yeah. But um, it's very good. Yeah. And I love that. You have a sword always at your disposal to fight sin, to encourage, to whatever sword you kind of need. 
in the scabbard at that time. Especially Romans 8. Yeah. No, especially. Papa, what would you say has been, how has it not only been something that you've enjoyed memorizing and thinking about, but how does it help you in everyday life? And which verses would you say, you only have 39 to pick from here, (laughs) which have been the ones that you would say you go to the most? Well, some of the most inspirational are some of the latter verses, you know. Uh, But the early verses explain how sin works. And I can identify with this because I'm not sitting out here because I'm not a sinner. And, 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 I, and I remember walking in the flesh rather than in the spirit, okay? And, 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 and it's just black and white. And, and so he kind of, Paul, in his typical fashion, he sort of builds on that and he builds on that. And then the crescendo, of course, is his uh, eulogy, I mean, his uh, doxology towards the end. But so I, I use it all the time in teaching, um, um, because uh, again, it's it's so straightforward, mm-hmm. uh, it, very very pragmatic, very uh, uh, deliberate in, in the way that he presents the gospel. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's why many would say it's the greatest chapter uh, ever written. Again, others could have an argument with that, but it certainly is. Um, uh, life life changing. So um, thank you for feasting on it. Um, Josh missed last week, but has a, a a gold nugget from verse thirty three. If you didn't get a chance to um, be with us last week, please go back and listen to the first fifteen minutes. As Carter did a great great job, just a an amazing job that um, is still sticking with me on. Um, a, a little bit of a summary of, of some of these verses, but that will be 15 minutes of pure gold to go back and listen to Carter from last week. But Josh, verse 33 here. Yeah, I want to think with you guys just for a few minutes here before we get going into our verses this week on this one phrase at the end of verse 33 that Steve Lawson helped solidify for me, but it just arrested my mind. I was gripped by this phrase. Um, at the end of verse 33. So verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. And that's the phrase I want to think with you all for just a moment. And uh, what does it mean that, that it's God who justifies? And I think one thing it means is that no one can bring a successful charge against the elect. No one can bring a successful charge against the elect and when we think about the character and nature of God, He alone can justify by necessity of who He is. And He's the supreme judge of heaven and earth. And so it would take somebody greater than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bring a successful charge. But we know there's no one more sovereign than God. There's no one with more authority. There's no one that even comes close to this category. And so we can have confidence that what he has declared will will stand forever. Uh, He's the creator. He calls things into existence that are not. And just think about who God is as creator. He calls, or excuse me, he divides heaven from earth. He separates light from darkness. He sets the boundary markers for the seas and says you can go no further. And then from Psalm 104, 
God is clothed with splendor and majesty. He rides on the wings of the wind. He set the earth on its foundations. And the mountains rose and the valleys sank to the place that he appointed for them. He causes the grass to grow. And so just thinking about some of those things about God's creative power, uh, this is the same God who justifies, and we can be confident that no one will overturn the verdict. No one will overturn the declaration uh, or bring condemnation against those whom he's called. And that was just really, uh, I guess, comforting or, or helpful to think about who God is as the one who justifies this week. <clears throat> yeah, Grant and Carter, any, uh, anything else on those? Guys, love. Go ahead. Uh, are we going to go ahead in the next verse two? Or well, just hold wait? on one second because we're getting there. But let me. I I found something that was uh, interesting. Apollyon said that, and I thought, you see, the verse thirty three, thirty four, and thirty five all start with who. And one of the commentators said, really, Satan's kind of the one. You know, Paul's got this imaginary opponent that he's always. Nah, not completely imaginary, but he's got this opponent that he's kind of talking back and forth to, right? In in the um, diatribes all the way through Romans. And here he's, he, one of the commentators said, it's really Satan who's most often trying to to, to get us to, to lie to us in this way. And I loved what Apollyon said, that all Satan said about us as far as being sinful and continuing to sin, um, that's true. And much more that he's left out. But the prince whom I've served um, and is merciful and ready to forgive, the one that I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. Besides these sins, um, possessed me in your own country, in Satan's own country. I have grown under them, I've been sorry for them, but now have obtained pardon from my prince. And so what Josh is saying here is so true. Since God has justified, there is no higher appeal, there's no court. These are courtroom type terms here. Even we saw in chapter 4 and 5 about being justified. It's a courtroom term, meaning that we were declared righteous. And once God's declared us righteous, then it is a completely done deal. And it doesn't matter who brings up what, it's not going to stick because he has pounded the gavel of heaven and declared us righteous. And so I, I found it interesting, Spurgeon said, that Jesus doesn't love us because of our good works. Jesus loves us because he loves us. I think that's such a, a freeing thing. Uh, and I think that that Grant has some more on that as far as um, our, and Carter too here in a little bit, on it's not our performance or what we do that earns our salvation or keeps our salvation and how thankful uh, we can be um, about that. So I guess one challenge to me was, and it was hinted again at, from the commentators, is that, don't forget here, Satan hates your guts. Right? Satan hates you with a deep hatred. And so let's not believe him. Right? Why would we believe him? Let's quit that. And and I'm this is I'm guilty of it myself. And then two times yesterday, 
but I'm talking about two times for hours yesterday. I've got to rehearse, just like Papa did, just like um, Josh has told us we ought to. I've got to rehearse these truths through my mind. Otherwise, I get conned into believing things that aren't true. You know, that somehow things are happening by accident. Somehow things, bad things are are happening that are really not going to work out together for good. Things that just aren't true. Let's believe the truth. They're true. Let's believe them and enjoy them. And, uh, and since Satan hates us, we would say, man, I'm not going to believe one who's lying to me, but believe Jesus. What we know is true. Papa went through a bunch of them, and this is, we're going to get to it today. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that um, to be sure. I love verse 2. Josh, you read verse 2. Another great promise. Don't forget these. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Yep. So we're set free. 16 to 18. For I can see, um, that spot, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And I had a student, I thought this was really good. I wouldn't have even known for sure he was a believer, but he, he piped up one time in class and just said, hey, when I'm doubting my salvation, you know what I do? I think. I thought, well, that's good. Give us a little bit more about what you're thinking about. And he said, I just start going through all the things that are true. And I start to, you know, separate the things that I'm feeling. Let's not let our feelings dictate our joy or what we believe is true. Josh, you guys have talked so much about this. Why is it so dangerous to believe your feelings rather than the truth? And I know we all know this, but I'd love to hear you kind of give us a, uh, a word of warning against believing our feelings. Yeah, you've said it very well, but I do think our hearts are naturally deceptive. I think that's part of our inherited fallen sin nature. And we have to be cautious of following our natural inborn sinful inclinations and proclivities because they will lie and deceive us. And have to, you know, the process of sanctification would be a continual growth in Christ's likeness as we are shedding, putting off the old man and putting on the new, renewing our minds and being conformed to the image of our Savior. And I think it's healthy and, and should be um, second nature for us maybe in some ways to distrust our hearts and yeah. look to the Word to guide us on how, how we should think and feel. Good. Wow. Distrust your heart. That's, that's just a good... Again, that doesn't uh, sell well if you put it on a coffee cup, but uh, that's another <laughs> great truth that we need to remember. And if we're children, and we are in verse 17, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. And here's where Grant's going to help us in a second. But because Paul's going to come back to this. Every believer will suffer with him in order that they'll also be glorified with him. But even though we suffer, what do we get? Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with glory that will be revealed in this. Always compare your suffering over what's coming. And what's coming is far better than our suffering. Continually we have to remember that. Otherwise our suffering is going to pummel us. Look at verse 26. 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Oh, I have felt that this week. Don't know what to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. What a great promise. Hold on to these promises. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Man, we've gone over this, but the Spirit is interceding for us. And then we come to verse 28. Because the Holy Spirit always intercedes for us, what always happens? God always answers in the affirmative. And we know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So, when Satan lies to us and says, oh, oh look what's happening out here. This is bad. Something's not, not going to work out. Then you go back to what we know. What do we know? We know that all things work together for good. Okay, Not that all things are good in themselves. Sin's not good. But God orchestrates them to work it out together for good. Then the golden chain, what else do we know? We know that those who he foreknew also we predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he called. Those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. So all of those things, we know we have security. This is all about our security in Christ. And that in the end, we will be and are Past tense, already glorified. Because God is for us. And when God is for us, verse 31, who can be against us? We know that God is for us. And he's proven that by giving us his son. And how will he now, along with him, he will graciously give us all things. And those all things in 32 are the same all things that we saw in 28. All things work together for good. God will graciously give us all things. And that doesn't mean everything we want. What it means is everything to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the great blessing in knowing him is that he will conform us to the image of Christ. So once again, the sufferings that we're about to get to here are, are going to conform us to the image of Christ. Verse 33 then. What shall he bring a charge against God's elect. This is what God's, uh, um, Joshua just covered. It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised and is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us. Carter, help us here um, with some of that. You had a little bit of a feast on 34, didn't you? A little bit uh, later on, 33 and then 34. Yeah, yeah I think it kind of straddles both those <clears throat> verses. But I think uh, Paul directly uses this verse to counter the fear of rejection by God, which is something that we're no um, aliens to or strangers to as uh, Christians. I think there's two ruts that uh, we're prone to fall into as believers. <clears throat> there's a one rut on the one side of the road that is, that we're not aware enough of our sin. And then on the other side of the road, there's the rut that we can fall into that we are not aware uh, we are not aware enough of the pardon. And I think this latter, that we're not aware enough of the pardon, is what Paul is addressing <clears throat> in uh, the latter of 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died and so on. So I think that 
I think it's very true that the conscience of the Christian, our consciences can go very, very dark and morbid under the pressure of continual sin and failure, um, especially when it comes to personal discipleship. Um, and this leads to a sort of doubt. And this is what, what is Paul, this is what Paul's been dealing with like last week and this week, uh, doubts to doubts of security and um, justification. We're, like you said, the Satan hurls like Apollyon, like um, Satan in the uh, picture, not specifically referring to believers in the New Testament, but to um, Israel in the Old Testament and the scene with Joshua and the priest, or Joshua as the priest and Satan hurling the, in, like the, um, the accusations. They are certainly true, but they hold no weight. Mm-hmm. Um, now, <clears throat> certainly we all, if you're a genuine Christian, you know that as you're converted, as you're truly justified, the effects of sin are amplified. The pain just, at, just exponentially grows because as you grow in holiness, you're bound with Christ, you're united with Christ, you're in an ever-continuing growth into Christ-likeness. And so sin is more, you're more sensitive to sin. You hate it more. You have a growing understanding of Christ. Therefore, you have a growing understanding of what sin actually is. And um, <clears throat> in light of that, seeing how painful sin is and how powerful it is in our lives and how destructive and corrosive it is, there's still no reason to think, to, to think that sin or a moral lapse as believers will endanger our, our status as justified. And that's the important point. Right. That's what that's what Paul's been hammering home even in these last two verses. So who is to condemn? Paul says, God is the maker and the judge, and he's made us right before him. And God didn't somehow, you know, with his eyes closed, sort of make us justified. God had his eyes open when he justified us. He knew all the while that we would fail miserably even when we are um, converted, even, even when Christ purchased us. He didn't go in you know, just sort of naive to all this mess that we would make of our lives. Our our lives as Christians, post-conversion, our, our salvation does not depend on us. If it did, what does MacArthur say? He'd drop it like a hot potato, like a hot iron. Um, Christ continues to keep us. Christ Jesus is the one who died. This latter part of the verse, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God. Christ knows what He's doing when He rescues godly, ungodly, wicked, evil sinners. He knows the depth of our sin and the depth of the evil of our hearts, and yet He still redeems us. Not that God, you know, Bodhi says that God wasn't just somehow so taken with us, so enraptured in our beauty and our value that He just, He had to have us and so He rescued us. That is not what happened. God saw how miserably, ungodly, and sinful Dead to all, dead, unresponsive to him, and yet because of who he is, because of his goodness and his mercy, he dies on our behalf and he pays the penalty that was due to us. There is, I mean, it's just kind of, I can't get past that how we could ever think that our, our salvation would depend on us. It depends on Christ. He's the one that keeps us you know the song he will hold me fast surely um so 
I think that, yeah. That's all I, I, I think, and, and if, if I may, and, and he, Paul gives us a hint all along in, in verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of some of the flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness may be fulfilled in us. And that's what Romans 3 says, what, what 2 Corinthians 5 says, the, the great exchange. Mm-hmm. He made him who was without and sin to be sin and, and to give us his righteousness. I mean, that's that 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 was a the verse that Luther captured so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even as Scott's going to get ready to in a few minutes here preach to us about prayer. I I know that's something that I don't do nearly like I would like to pray, and so sometimes that can be con, can I think Satan can bring that kind of thing up. It's like, well, look at you. You're not even spending much time praying. Are you really sure? You know, and then start kind of the nonsense. And so I think what you guys are saying is good. Papa, you're the same age as all three of those guys. What <laughs> together, you, you together. So what have you learned in the time that God's given you when Satan's come at you with condemnation? Because you probably felt some condemnation. Oh, yeah. Well, he's a liar. That's yep. that's the first thing, uh, and 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 uh, the Romans eight verses. I mean, there is no condemnation. Amen. I mean, where do you go? From yeah, there? you just start there. That's right. Yep. And that really. And, and Jesus did the same thing when he was men tempted in the wilderness. He used scripture. What the he used scripture? Deuteronomy. And that goes with what Josh is saying that you, if you know it in your head, then you have some of that to to go with. So yeah, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. There's four things that he goes through there in that one verse, isn't he? He goes through Christ died. He was raised. He's uh, at the right hand of the Father. And that's where there's, at the highest rank there, the right hand of the Father. And then, I love that last one, and is indeed interceding for us. So remember the Holy Spirit's interceding for you continually. So is the Lord Jesus and God's for you, all of the Trinity, once again. Um, any other things on 33 or 34 there? Yeah, if you um, <clears throat> In 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who's interceding for us. I think that um, our, the RSV puts it in a question format, so... Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes. Who was raised from the dead? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interesting for us? And the thought that Christ would condemn is just completely absurd because mm-hmm. Christ, why, if he would condemn us, he died to save us from condemnation. He bore our condemnation on our behalf. He rose and was exalted to grant repentance and forgiveness. His resurrection validated it sealed the the fact that the Father had accepted the sacrifice and that Christ's righteousness is ours and that our sin was dealt with. And now now we have not only the Holy Spirit interceding for us, we have Christ interceding for us. They're both interceding on our behalf. And uh, Christ intervenes on our behalf to ensure that we receive all the things that was mentioned in uh, 32. 
So I, it just is just irrational. Paul like sets it up. It's completely irrational that Christ would condemn us. There's no one to condemn. Christ is the one who purchased us, and He bought us or redeemed us from that life of sin. So <clears throat> that's good. The logic's so beautiful. When you get um, Grant to thirty-five, um, help us here because this suffering. Some he almost switches now to say. Could suffering somehow intercept you off the path to glorification? Right. Yeah, um, like what Carter said, he will hold me fast. And then I think the next logical question would be, uh, what about in suffering? Even in suffering, Christ will hold me fast even in in that? What about to death? What does that mean for us? Um, And so we go on in 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we see that Paul is bringing up, again, uh, suffering. He's brought it up before, and I thought it was, you know, back then really interesting in verse 18 that he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we see this... Um, coupling of future glorification and present sur- sufferings. And I think we'll see that again here, maybe not as explicitly, but I think it is implied in the text. Um, but I wanted to see uh, what is Paul getting at, because especially with verse 37, know in all these things we are more than conquerors, or super conquerors, or hyper conquerors through him who loved us. So how are we conquerors, and what does it mean that we conquer when many of these things that he listed in here would be our ultimate demise or death uh, physically. So a lot of these tribulation or distress or persecution, um, I'm sure they have nuance between each of them uh, that I can't really describe, but the famine or nakedness or danger or sword, we can we can understand those. Um, what is Paul getting at? It, is he saying that somehow, yeah, we'll experience famine, but we'll, we'll conquer it, um, we'll somehow beat the famine. No, I think Paul's likely talking about we will potentially starve to death. It can't. Uh, is he saying somehow that we'll stop the persecution, that we'll escape the persecution? I think probably, given the context, he's talking about we'll be persecuted to death. Does it mean that somehow we'll beat the sword, we'll be able to fight back the sword, and somehow conquer that way? <coughs> no, I think Paul is talking about the act of the sword being used on us to death. And I think the context of the psalm that he quotes would would... Uh, corroborate that. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So we read this, and I think the temptation for me is like I read this almost as a hypothetical list. Tribulation, uh, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, those are not things that I'm intimately uh, acquainted with. And so I think of it as almost this hyperbole or um, hypothetical thing, but Paul brings it right back with the quotation of the psalm to say, no, these are not hypothetical things. We have been blessed to live in an unusually peaceful time, um, even though a lot of us experience sufferings. Um, the norm for Christians, though, would not be to face, I think Spurgeon put it, if the lion of uh, persecution doesn't get you, the bear of prosperity will. So a lot of us have more experience with the temptation of prosperity, but the normal uh, path of things for the Christian throughout history has been the line of persecution. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And 
Uh, Lawson brought up an interesting point with uh, these three, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, with the persecution that um, potentially this, the famine and the nakedness are a result of the persecution and the danger and the sword. So this would be almost like a, a state-sponsored persecution that results in our being unable to provide for ourselves. So famine and nakedness, meaning we're not able to buy food and clothing for ourselves and the danger and the sword. I think Paul uses... Um, the sword in context in Romans 13 with the, the government wielding it. So it could almost see like a state-sponsored persecution and extermination of Christians, which was what happened. Uh, final glorification in view. We will conquer, um, not through physical means, but there will be an end goal of attaining glorification. I think we can sort of have the heading of the golden chain right above this, and so we see that all those whom he foreknew or foreloved, he called. Let me find it here so I don't misquote it. Um, And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we have this golden chain, and, and the question would be, can the bolt cutters of affliction come somewhere between justification and glorification and snip that chain, and we can fall out of that chain and be lost? and no longer be loved by Christ. And so I think the two things that he's answering here are, does Christ still love us in our affliction? Is this some sign of the judgment of God on us that we're no longer loved by Christ? And I think that would be somewhat the context for his quotation of the Psalms. Uh, I think that's a lot of what Psalm 44 is getting at is um, the psalmist is saying, we have kept your law, but we're we're being uh, killed all the day long. Lord, will you turn your face back towards me? So you could definitely have that context in it is does Christ still love us when we're being persecuted but the other thing is um, the separation from Christ's love could be the idea of perseverance will we persevere through this suffering a lot of um, these things that believers would experience are the common routes of apostasy and, and, and intense suffering hunger <coughs> to provide for you or your family or your children or state sponsored extermination and execution um, Will you apostatize in that time? Is that the separation from Christ's love? And I think it's twofold. The answer of this is no, that um, Christ will never stop loving us. None of that can separate uh, uh, his love for us. And through that non-separation comes our perseverance. The love of Christ has power to persevere us to the end. It's not just some abstract thing. It perseveres us to the end. It has power in it. And I think, I wish... um, Scott was here today because he would be able to quote this story intimately because he loves John Patton. But there's a, there's a quote I want to read for you. Uh, John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands to a group of cannibal, cannibals there. Um, and he experienced basically all of these in the list. Uh, just this unbelievable persecution, um, sickness, death of those around him, just abject poverty on the island, constant fear for his life of them wanting to kill him. They tried so many times, and the Lord would intervene. Um, He escaped so many times from death and and ultimately just being eaten by the cannibals. But this was one time, one of the natives, I think his name is Abraham, um, who was converted, uh, warned him to flee. or It may have been one of the chiefs that liked John Patton, warned him to flee because they were coming to get him again. They wanted to come and drag John Patton out and and kill him, and then eat him. And so he fled into the bush, and this is the story of that uh, that he recounts in his book. He said, I climbed into the tree, 
and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there uh, live all before me as if it were but yesterday. I heard the frequent discharge of muskets and the yells of the savages. He said he could hear them going about whacking in the bushes to see if he was in any of the bushes, see if he could, they could find him. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe in the arms of Jesus. Uh, never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly to my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus, alone yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. Had I been a stranger to Jesus and to prayer, my reason would verily have given way, but my comfort and joy sprang from the promise, lo, I'm with you always. And that story, I think, just it just gives life to this text to me to see that Christ will be with us in suffering. It, we're not separated in the suffering from Christ. His love is still there, and in many ways He draws nearer to us mm-hmm. in the suffering. And then that nearness, not being separated from Christ has power. We saw it with Patton. Um, he was strengthened. Normally, people would not persevere in situations like that, naturally. No one would stay in a situation where you're constantly in fear of getting eaten. Um, and, and Josh, you may have things to read, too, of, of, from the Fox's Books of Martyr, just these unnatural um, perseverance in the face of huge adversity, uh, unreal persecution. Will you fall away? No, the, the love of Christ sustains you in those moments. And so that's what I think we're seeing here. Nothing can separate us. No, we'll be conquerors through him. We're promised that final glorification. Christ will sustain us through. Nothing can snip that golden chain. We will, if we were justified, we will be glorified with him. And we'll be the first, or he'll be the firstborn among many brethren. That's a promise that Christ will be He'll still retain his primacy, but we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. We'll have a body similar to his. We'll be there with him at the end. That's, that's when the conquering comes. We may die on the way to that, but that's just a pathway to the final glorification with him when we're united to him. Great. Hyper-conqueror, super-conqueror. Yeah, good. Any final thoughts? I just want, uh, you know, I, I, I've heard that Patton story before, and that's a great story. But, you know, you can come up with thousands of stories, 100,000 stories. And, and you know, we're not trying to trump stories here because all of it equates to suffering. And it's going to be uniquely suited for us, I think, too. And, and um, uh, we were talking as, right as the class began about the nonconformists and the, and the Puritans in England. They were persecuted. Many of them went to jail. Bunyan spent a lot of time in jail. He was offered his freedom. He recant. He, he refused. And he had a wife and six kids, I think, or something gosh awful like that. And so it's, it's, as long as there's been Christianity, there's been persecution and will be. So yeah. I think we, we determined that in Daniel and Revelation. So. That's right. Wow. And we'll be hyper-conquerors through it, super-conquerors. That's such good... Such good news. Lord willing, we will wrap up Romans 8 next week. Josh, could you pray and, and ask the Lord to give us, uh, help us to believe the truth in some of these things? Sure appreciate your guys' insights today. Father, thank you for this great portion of Paul's letter to the Romans that we were able to look at today. I pray that we would feast on these promises and in the same way that 
your saints from all across redemption history have feasted on them and have been sustained by them. Lord, help us to look forward to our future hope and rest on these promises. And I pray that you'd be with us this week and with our service today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you would like uh, one of these devotions, it's for sure uh, free for you to, to, to grab one if you would, um, could be helped by it or know somebody that could be.